Try to get in here without getting drenched. Lots of rain in January. Um, so we're going to open today. Let me uh, go over some announcements with you. So you'll turn on the back. You can see those. Um, things that are going on this week, today, the student growth groups, 5 to 5, 6.30, fellowship hall. Um, and then we have men's fellowship Monday, the 23rd, 7 p.m., also at the fellowship hall. Um, and then Thursday, growth group, 6.30 at the Parsonage, uh, studying John, and it looks like y'all are in John, doing John 10. Yeah, okay. Yes. For that, for growth group on Thursday, uh, we're going to do a meal this week, so we'll meet at 6 o'clock at the Parsonage, still read John 10. Uh, if you want to bring something to eat and share, bring whatever you prefer. If not, you're still welcome to come and eat with us. We'll have plenty of food, I'm sure. Uh, so all invited, we're going through the Gospel of John. Uh, don't forget the women's uh, fundraiser. Uh, I've noticed some uh, baby bottles in the back. We're filling those up. And Sunday, next Sunday is the... Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, February the 5th. We have two more weeks to do that. So, um, And then you can see uh, the other no announcements there. Jessica does have an announcement about the door. Your deadline is next week, next Sunday. Um, if you can't get to me in person, my email address is in the, in the directory. The current one that's yellow, it has the correct email address. It's email. So you can always email me. Um, and there was an announcement in the bottom about the altar flowers. If you want to take any of the open dates, please let me on a page note so they can put, get that done. Um, and I think that's it. Okay. Any other announcements? We'll open this morning with Psalms 4. <clears throat> I answer when, answer me when I call to you, O God, who declares me innocent. Free me from my troubles. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. How long will you people ruin my reputation? How long will you make groundless accusations? How long will you continue your lives? You can be sure of this. The Lord set apart the godly for himself. The Lord will answer when I call to him. Don't stand by letting anger control you. Think about it overnight and remain silent. Offer sacrifices in the right spirit and trust the Lord. Many people say, who will show us better times? Let your face smile on us, Lord. You have given me greater joy than those who have abundant harvest of grain and new wine. In peace I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, O oh Lord, will keep me safe. Um, and that was from Psalms 4. Okay, now we will stand and sing our first hymn, which is Joyful, Joyful, We Adore You, 59.
Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended in heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence we shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Sunday time for our capital fund, uh, something we do, all of you well aware of. Uh, last year, we really had a busy year, done a lot of work, needed work and repairs to the church, fellowship hall. Uh, we painted the sanctuary, we painted the mail room, we had trees taken down, stumps ground, we had to put a new well pump in bladder tank, a new commode in the fellowship hall, and also added an air conditioner to the kitchen up there. So we had a rather busy year, a rather expensive year, and all the help of the capital fund really helped us in these matters. Uh, that wasn't the whole funds we used, but they were a big part of it. And on behalf of the trustees and the consistory, personally thank each and every one of you for your continued contribution to the capital fund. Because without the capital fund, we cannot keep God's house going. It's a very important part and a, a very long tradition of this church. So again, thank you for your support and look forward to maybe this year not having as busy a year as we had last year. But as things go and things increase, it's what it is is what it is. So just praise God that we're able to do it, that we each are financially able to do what little bit we do do. So thank you. And now we'll have the children's story. So 
Good morning, everybody. Everybody get get wet outside as you're walking in from the car? Raining a little bit? Yeah. Um, so before before I leave the children's story, a uh, word of advice, reminder, we have uh, sign-ups now at the back for children's story and our nursery workers. Uh, so we need people up here. I, I did see that it's, it's filled up a good bit already since I put it out this morning, which is encouraging. So thank you to those that have signed up. Uh, but if you're interested and would like to sign up for, for this, for helping here at Children's Story, or being downstairs with our young ones, uh, nursery during service is for four and under. So it's really just hanging out and being with some, some young ones and, and spending the time with them. But if you have any questions, let me know. We'd love to talk to you more about it if you're interested in signing up. All right, question for you. What book of the Bible have we been studying together on Sunday mornings? Romans. Do you remember what chapter we've been in? We've finished four. Five. So we're in chapter five. This morning we are finishing a section that we've been on for the last few weeks. And want to ask you a question about a word. What do you know about the future? Flying cars. Robots everywhere. Helicopters, playing with helicopters, whatever that means or looks like. Yes, super realistic video games. I think we already have that. (laughs) Yeah, Paw Patrol. Paw Patrol in the future. What do you think that you're going to do in the future? Build stuff. Program. Ride stuff. Lots of stuff, whatever stuff is. We're going to be doing stuff. So in, in Romans, what we've been talking about is how we can know that our faith is real and how we can know that God's love for us is real. And this morning, we're going to be talking about the future a little bit. And so a lot of the, the things that we talk about when we talk about Jesus, we talk a lot about what he's already done, right? He's already died on the cross. He's already come back to life. He's already forgiven us for our sins. But what about in the future? And so in, in this passage this morning that we're looking at, in just three verses, 9, 10, and 11 of chapter 5, Paul is encouraging us as Christians to look forward to the future because if we've already been saved by Christ, and if our sins have already been forgiven, then in the future it'll be even better. That He, he says that if we've already been justified by faith, much more... Will, be, will, will we be saved from the wrath of God? And so we look forward to the future. Part of being a Christian means trusting in the work that Christ has already done in the past, but also trusting that the future is going to come and that in the future Christ will still be king and he will still be our Lord and we can still trust him both in the past and in the future. So hope, hope we are excited about the future, all things considered. All right, let me pray for you. Father, thank you for these young ones. Thank you for uh, just their presence here with your people. Uh, God, we pray that as they grow, that they would continue to grow into the likeness of Christ and that they would place faith in you and place faith in, in Christ for salvation. That they too would trust in the forgiveness accomplished in the past and hope in the forgiveness and the restoration and the redemption to come in the future. Father, be with us this morning as we continue to worship you in Christ's name we pray. Amen.
Outstanding and sing our hymn 96 on 4,000 tongues to sing.
If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Romans. In the New Testament, uh, there shortly after the Gospels and after the book of Acts, you will find the book of Romans. This morning, we are looking and finishing up the section in chapter 5 that we've been on for really the, the entire month of January, uh, but we will be finishing up this section of the first 11 verses. Uh, before, before we jump into Romans... Today is a special Sunday here in our country. Uh, it is what is called the Sanctity of Life Sunday. Uh, across our nation, churches all around America are recognizing and celebrating that all life, all human life, bears the image of God. From conception to the very last breath that we take, from womb to tomb, there is dignity and sanctity in human life. And so one of the ways that we as a church are working for and towards this Sanctity of Life is through, as Karen mentioned at our beginning, is these, this fundraiser that we're working with, the Pregnancy Resource Center in Stanley County. Uh, at, this, at this resource center, for, for women who have unplanned pregnancies or unexpected pregnancies, uh, this resource center provides uh, medical care as well as parenting classes, newborn classes, and, and helps equip these, these women for these unexpected and unplanned children. Uh, that gives them a, an option, resources available to help them parent and raise children that bear the image of God. And so one of the ways that we are helping this resource center is through this fundraiser. And I believe that there are nine, as of this morning, nine empty baby bottles in the back. Take them, fill them up. Even if you've already filled one, fill up another one. Uh, in two weeks, bring back all the baby bottles and we will get these, this, uh, these final financial resources sent back to this resource center. If you have any questions, you can ask Paige, ask Jessica Love. Uh, we would love to, to talk to you more about it. But now we'll, we'll turn our attention to Romans uh, chapter 5. 
I'm going to read uh, all of the first 11 verses as we've been doing over the last few weeks. This is what Paul says. He says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Pray with me. Let us seek the Lord's help as we come to his word this morning. Father, these last few weeks in this section of verses have been fruitful, encouraging, convicting, uplifting. Father, as we come to these last few verses of this section of Romans 5, would you help us once again? We know that these words are inspired by your Spirit, and we pray that that same Spirit who inspired these words, he would come and help us to see the truth. You would illuminate us and help us to see the truth of your Word and the truth of your Gospel that this truth would encourage us, that it would uplift us, that it would help us to see and to look forward to the beauty and the glory of God to be revealed. Help me this morning to speak, to speak clearly, to speak plainly, to speak boldly and faithfully to what your word says and nothing more. That you may receive the glory and not me, and not this church, not anyone here, but that you and you alone would receive the glory for your word and for the work that it accomplishes as it goes out. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, since we've been in this uh, rather long section, really it's just 11 verses, but it feels longer, doesn't it? There's, there's such depth here in these 11 verses that I feel like it would be helpful to just sort of do a, a brief recap of what we've seen in chapter 5 so far. In our first week, we looked at the first three verses and saw how we have obtained certain things in Christ. Things like peace with God. Standing in the, the kingdom of His grace, where God is, rather than working against us, now works for us. And that in this peace and in this grace that we stand in, we are rejoicing in a future hope that the glory of God is going to be revealed to us and through us and in us. And then we looked at how our faith is tempered through suffering. That it is 
like steel, stretched and heated to a certain point, almost to the point of breaking, but not quite there. So that then when the, when the heat is taken away, what we're left with is a stronger, more resilient faith that is able to, to be proven and tested, and that we as Christians are assured of the authenticity of that faith. And through the authenticity of the faith, we are assured of our salvation. And then we look at the reality of God's love. How, how do we know that God truly loves us? Well, it's because Christ died for us. And not only because Christ died for us do we see God's love, but, but we feel His love through the Spirit being poured out in our hearts. In all of this, we've, we've looked at one and, once and again that God's desire for His people is not just that they would be saved, but that they would be certain of their salvation. That you would have the assurance. That's what God wants for you. He wants to save you, but He also wants you to know that you are saved. And so this has been a, an important study, I think is an important mini-series, if you will, within our study of Romans. Because as we've overcome these obstacles of the assurance of our salvation, we've, we've really come to this understanding that our salvation is certain today, that we can stand in the certainty of it today. But what about tomorrow? What about the day after that? The day after that? What about eternity? You see, it's great that God has saved me now, that He's forgiven my sins today, but what if when the day comes and I stand before the judgment seat of God, what if He changes His mind? What if He decides on that day that I'm not as saved as I thought I was? And so this morning, as we look at these last three verses of, uh, of this first section in chapter 5, what I want you to see is, is something foundational to our assurance in the future. Because what Paul is saying here is that because of what you have in Christ now, because of what you have in Christ today, you can be certain of what you will have in Christ later. So there's this now and later the paradigm that Paul is presenting to us in these, in these verses. And Paul argues that, that if you follow the logic of his argument, Paul argues from the major to the minor. That God has done the big thing, so certainly he can do the small thing too. For example, if you watched me and I was able to somehow miraculously lift up a 500 pound boulder up over my head just like this, and then to set it down without injury and without without discomfort, that it was relatively easy for me to do this. And I did it. Would you doubt then, if a five-pound rock was sitting here, would you doubt that I could pick this one up? And if you'd seen me lift up the big one, would I not also be able to do the small one too? That's, this is the, the, the logic behind Paul's argument. God has done the big thing. He's lifted up the 500-pound boulder. Couldn't he also lift up the five-pound and so that's what I, I want you to see this morning. I, I want you to see God has done and accomplished the major. Surely he will do the minor. And so there's three words, three descriptives uh, of these verses. One verse at a time of who we are as Christians today. And I, I want to show you how ultimately who we are today will not change, but will only get better in the future. So the first descriptive is justified. Justified. 
And Paul wants you to see, Paul wants us to see, that if we are justified now, much more will we be justified later. If we are justified now, much more will we be justified later. So first, Paul presents the, the major. What is the major thing that God has done? And you'll notice in verse 9, which is where we're starting this morning, he says, since, therefore. And so we should ask, what's the therefore? Therefore. And we go back to verse 8, and we, we see the, the way that Paul has presented us here. That He says that God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We know that God loves us because Christ died for us. This is what Paul says, and this is what we've been talking about last week and in the weeks leading up. And that God didn't love us or he didn't die for us while we were good. He didn't die for us when we had the potential to be good. But that it was while we were still sinners, while we were still weak, that moment, that time is when Christ died for us. And this death of Christ was more than just a display of love. It was more than just proof of God's love for us. It had a purpose. Sin deserves death. Every, every sinful action, every sinful thought, every sinful word, all of it, has a consequence. And that consequence is death. It doesn't matter how great or how small the sin is, any sin, all sin, will always result in death. But Christ, the only one without sin, died in the place of sinners, for sinners, to show God's love to sinners. His death atoned. His death paid the price. It canceled the debt. It ransomed the captive. And that's what Paul is referring to here in verse 9 when he, he says, Therefore, since we have been justified by His blood. There's a, a sacrificial connotation to that phrase, by His blood. You can almost see the blood being shed of the animals on the, on the altar in the temple. You can, you can see it. In these temples, we understand that these temple sacrifices point us to Christ. That as the priest carried a, a lamb without spot or blemish and put it on the altar and slayed it and, slayed it and killed, the, killed the lamb, spread it, spilling its blood there over the altar. So it is that we understand Christ to be the true Lamb of God, who as John the Baptist once declared, takes away the sins of the world. So to receive this atonement, to receive the, this purpose that Christ's death has accomplished, God doesn't require anything of you. He doesn't ask you to, to do something or even to pay him back for it. He simply says, believe. Having faith, being justified by faith, means that we take God at his word. That if he says it, we say, yeah, I'm going to take you for your word. I'm going to believe you. And I'm going to trust that what you say is true of me is true of me. I'm going to trust that the death of Christ was sufficient for my sin. And this, according to Paul and according to the scriptures, this and this alone is how we are saved. We are justified by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. This is the major. This is the 500-pound boulder hanging over our heads by a spider's web. So that's what the wrath of God is. It is a boulder hanging over us, ready to crush us at any moment. 
And there's nothing we can do about it. But in Christ, God has not only moved that boulder away from over your head, but He has moved it intentionally and directly and specifically over the head of Christ, His Son. And He has taken it away from you and He's put it over Him. And on the cross, God cut the rope that was holding it up. And it dropped. And it crushed Him. God cutting this rope that was holding up this boulder, allowing it to fall in all of its weight, crushing His Son so that you would be spared. You see, Christian, you are rescued because Christ was not. You are redeemed because Christ was given up. You are freed because Christ died in your place. He suffered what you deserved. And now, with this price paid and the debt canceled, the sin forgiven, you are now righteous in God's eyes. This is a finished, accomplished, completed work of God in Christ. It's done. You can't add anything to it. You can't take anything away from it. It is done. This is the major victory, the major work of God on behalf of sinners whom He loves. That's the big one, the major. So then you're probably sitting here thinking, "Go well, what's the problem here, Paul? What, what am I missing? What is the point that he is trying to get across here in verse 9? And it's the issue of the past versus the future, what we talked about with the kids a moment ago. You see, I can believe as a Christian, I can believe that Christ died for me long ago. And I can believe that on the cross, he, God displayed his, his love for me back then. But what about tomorrow? What about the future? What happens when I stand before the judgment seat of God? Is that same love still going to be there? And how can I know? If I read my Bible as I should, then I know that the day is coming when God is going to judge the world. That Christ is going to return, but He's not going to return as a baby in a manger. He's going to return on a war horse with a sword in His fist. He's going to come in wrath and in judgment for the sin of the world. What happens to me then? Which is what Paul, this, this question moves Paul from the major to the minor. From the big thing that God has done to the small thing that he's yet to do. Paul says in verse 9, Since therefore we have been justified by his blood... Big, major boulder. Since he's done this, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. You see, if you've been justified by faith in Christ, if you're trusting in his atoning and his substitutionary death for your sins, then what could you possibly have to worry about on that day? He's already paid for it. He's already poured out His wrath for your sins. He's already allowed that boulder to crush Christ instead of you. So then when that day comes, Paul says, you will be saved. The major to the minor. If God saved you at Calvary, why wouldn't He save you in the coming judgment? It's so easy to be afraid of the day of judgment, isn't it? I think it's, it's, to be fair, I think we should have, hold some level of, 
of fear and, and uncertainty about that day. You read through the book of Revelations and if fear doesn't cross your mind, then I don't think you're reading the right book. I mean, there's passages in Revelation where God returns and the image is of the kings and the rulers of the earth fleeing to caves and hiding in the mountains and praying that the mountains themselves are going to crash down on top of them because that would be a better outcome than seeing God return. It's terrifying. There's fear that comes from those passages, and rightly so. You know, it used to be so common to hear pastors say, maybe some still do, but I just haven't heard it in a while, but it was so common to hear pastors say, and ask, ask their audience and ask their congregation, if you die tonight, do you know where you would spend eternity? And I, I can remember hearing, as, as the pastor asked those questions, I can remember hearing Christians, even some pastors, who would say in response to that question, I hope so. I mean, I believe in Jesus and I try to do what God wants, but there's no way to be certain of, of eternity until you get to eternity. So, I hope so. If that were true, and all we could do was hope so, I can promise you one thing. I wouldn't be standing here in this pulpit with you this morning. I have no business standing here and telling you what to do and what to believe and what the Bible says, if at the end of the day, my answer to these eternal questions was, hope so. God doesn't leave us in confusion or in doubt on any of these things. We, we never have to question His plan of salvation, whether or not it's sufficient, whether or not it's effective, whether or not it's real. Christian, hear me on this. If you believe that God's wrath was poured out on Jesus instead of on you, then you do not need to be afraid of what's to come. It's certain. If you have salvation now in Christ, then you can be sure that you will have it later in Christ as well. If God has accomplished the major work, then everything else is minor, and He will surely do that too. If you are justified now, much more will you be justified later. Justified. Second, second descriptive of Christians is reconciled. Reconciled. Paul says, if we are reconciled now, much more will we be reconciled later. And this one is, is similar to justification, but it's different in the language and the, the image that it brings to mind. I think that's one of the great beauties of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible speaks to us in so many different ways, in so many different images and, and languages and words. It uses all these beautiful pictures to get across the same wonderful gospel. Just, just consider a few of the ways that the Bible talks about salvation. First, justification. We are guilty, but in Christ we are declared innocent. Or adoption. We were outsiders. We are children of wrath, but we've been adopted and brought into the family of God. Where we are no longer the outsiders, but we are family. We are children. And as children, we have an inheritance as sons and daughters. Then you have regeneration. That we were dead, but in Christ we are brought back to life. 
Redemption. We were slaves, but now we have been bought back by God. And then here, reconciliation. We were enemies, and now we are friends. You see, in reconciliation, there are, there are always two parties. Party A and Party B. And, and between these two parties, there is always something between them. A division of some sort that prevents the two sides from being together. Something has created a rift. Something has separated the two sides. So what is it? Why is reconciliation being used in relation to the gospel? Why is this a term that we use? Look at, look at verse 10 of chapter 5. Because I think it clarifies this, this question. Paul says, For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son... So we'll pause here and, and just reflect on this. Who are enemies? Who are the enemies that Paul is talking about? And what is the divide and who is angry about it? Now, I think that as we start, it should be easy for us to understand and, and know that we were enemies with God. We opposed him. That's what disobedience to his law is. We are saying, no, I'm not listening to you. I'm against your law. I, I want to do what I want to do. We made ourselves his enemy. We are against him in sin. That God stood in our way. And so we pushed back and we fought against and we waged war against him. That's what sin is. Everyone who lives in sin stands opposed to the things of God. But I think what seems to be more difficult for, for many of us to understand is that God was also enemies with us. We were enemies with God, and we opposed God, but God was also enemies with us, and he opposed us. See, we, we want to believe that God loves everyone, and therefore he cannot be enemies with anyone. That he is always on everyone's side all the time, always. And so the people with this understanding would, would read verse 10, and they would say, Paul says that we were enemies with God, not that God was our enemy. So we hated God, but God loved us. That's what Paul's saying here. It's just not true. To read this into verse 10 means you skip verse 9, where it says that you will be saved from the wrath of God. I don't know how many people or how many, how many of us understand God to have wrath towards people he loves. I mean, in every example of Scripture where wrath is poured out from God, it's always on his enemies. Always on those that are opposed to him. And the very fact that he has wrath means that he is opposed to someone. And that someone is us. So here stands this double opposition. We oppose God. God opposes us. You have two parties with a rift between them. On the one hand, you have the, the creator. And on the other, the creation. At odds with one another, fighting against one another, opposing one another. Before we get into our minds that this is some sort of fair fight, mankind cannot oppose God any more than an ant can oppose a boot. It doesn't work. You will lose. And so in order for reconciliation to take place, whether it's between us and God or between us and other people, in order for reconciliation to happen, someone, one of the two parties, has to absorb the hurt. 
They have to take the hit and remove it. So let me give you an, an earthly example. Imagine that you're, imagine two close friends. And these two close friends, they live together, they spend their time together, they are the best of friends. And one day, one of the friends decides to steal $10,000 from the other one. Obviously, this would create a rift. There would be a divide in the friendship. And in order for things to be made right, in order for the friendship to be reconciled and be brought back together, someone has to take on the debt. Either the thief has to repay it, taking on the debt for himself, or the victim must forgive it. Someone has to absorb the pain. Someone has to take the hit. Otherwise, the pain sits between the two and the relationship will never be restored. There will never be reconciliation unless someone absorbs it. Which is exactly what Christ has done for us. So here we are, opposed, at odds with God, enemies with one another, and Christ stands in the middle and absorbs the pain. He absorbs the, the, he takes the hit. He endures the wrath of God for sin through his death. Which is exactly what Paul says. He says, while we were enemies, God to us and us to God, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Or again, Paul writes in his letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, Paul says, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God the gospel is. And that's really what, why we are evangelists. That's what evangelism is. Evangelism is simply finding an enemy of God and telling them that reconciliation is possible. It is standing in the gap and telling people, it's okay. God doesn't have to be mad at you anymore. You don't have to be enemies with him anymore. Because he's dealt with it and he's absorbed the pain. He's taken it away. And now you can be friends again. And not only that, evangelism is this exhortation. It is imploring, it is pleading with these enemies to come to God in Christ and be reconciled. All because the Son has died. We have that now. That's, that's current. That's today. Reconciliation is here. It is available to you this morning. Take it. But what about the later? When does the later come in? I don't have to convince you. I like, I like sermons where I don't have to convince you of a lot of things. I don't have to convince you that we as Christians still sin. It's true. We sin daily. It's a fact. And you, better than anyone else in this room, can testify about yourself that it's true for you. But the problem is that every sin we commit, if in Christ the, the two sides have been reconciled and brought back together, every sin then works to separate and create that rift again. 
Every time. I mean, and you know this to be true. Maybe there's times in your life where sin has had a, a stronger hold than others. Where you've just sort of been lost in some sort of sin. To just find a way to repeat itself daily. And there's nothing you can do about it. And sometimes, maybe you don't want to do anything about it. Maybe you just love it. You love it being there. But in those times, does God not feel far from you? Does he not feel distant? Because that rift has, has been recreated and reopened. Because you're now choosing to, to live in sin, to live in opposition to God instead of with him and his friends with him, reconciled with him. I mean, to go back to our example of, of the money being stolen. Let's say that in this scenario, you are the one who has the money stolen from you. And you decide to forgive the thief. It's just money. You forgive him. But what happens if he does it again? Are you willing to forgive a second time $10,000? What about a third time? Or a fourth time? Or a fifth time? I mean... Wouldn't this make reconciliation, if someone is continuing to do it over and over again, wouldn't it make reconciliation impossible? Which is why Paul says what he does. Verse 10. For if, while we were enemies with God, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. Christ died. He absorbed the wrath. He took the hit. Reconciliation is possible. By faith, we, the former enemies of God, are now his friends. But more than that, Christ is no longer dead. But he is alive. And he is currently, even at this very moment, sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding, speaking your name to God. Which means that every time you fall, every sin you commit, every time the sin that's deep within your heart decides to pop out and rear its ugly head, before even a whiff of wrath, before even the smallest little tear or divide in that relationship can come between you and the Father, Christ steps in from right there next to the Father and says, It's okay, Papa. My death covered that one too. I have dealt with it. There doesn't need to be a divide anymore. And you see, the true beauty of this reconciliation in Christ is that there will never be a day for those who believe and who have been justified by faith in Christ, there will never be a day where that, reconcil- that reconciliation between you and God, it will never break. You are reconciled now. Much more will you be reconciled later. Because this is who we are. We are justified. We are reconciled. And lastly, we are rejoicing. We are rejoicing. If we are rejoicing now, much more will we be rejoicing later. Look at verse 11. It's our our last verse of the passage. Paul says, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. You see, throughout these first 11 verses of chapter 5, and the reason that we've been reading them all together 
week after week after week, is because Paul has been building something here. Much like a piece of music where there is a crescendo, where it starts low and it slowly builds its way to something massive. That's what Paul is doing here. And he does this by, by using the phrase, more than that. And you can look back at these first 11 verses and, and trace how this, how this crescendo builds. Paul says, we've been justified by faith, so we have peace with God and access to grace. We rejoice in hope. More than that, we rejoice in suffering. Because suffering assures us that our faith is real. And that God truly loves us. And that he died for us at the cross. More than that. We rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This whole section of Romans has been building up to this final and the most beautiful truth. More than justification. More than peace. More than grace. More than faith. More than the cross. More than reconciliation. More than justification. More than all of these wonderful truths that we celebrate. More than that. We rejoice in God. One author wrote of these verses, he says, The capstone of the believer's experience is boasting in God himself. The greatest good for all believers is fellowship with God. and He receives the glory and praise that sinners have so long denied him. Let me share with you quickly a concern that I have. And a concern that, that honestly, it just grows every Every year, it baffles me that so much of our discussion of heaven and eternity as Christians is lost on inconsequential things. And so you'll hear people talk about heaven and they say, I can't wait to see my loved ones again. I can't wait to see my spouse, my grandparents, my parents, my brother, my sister, my, my grandchildren. I can't wait to be reunited with them. I can't wait to walk the streets of gold. I can't wait to see my mansion and wear my crown. I can't wait to fly because apparently heaven means flying. These things are nothing. And I don't, I don't say that to be insensitive. I, I simply say it to point this out. That if our focus of heaven and our idea of heaven is centered around this stuff, family members, loved ones, streets of gold, houses, then we have missed the beauty of heaven. Completely. Because you see, the beauty and the wonder of heaven is solely this. God is there. The God who once stood opposed to you in wrath, but now calls you his child. He's there. The God who formed you in your mother's womb, putting you together limb by limb, cell by cell, gene by gene. Who knew you before you were born. He's there. The God who is the true glory of all creation is there, and he is there with us. Recently in my, my Bible reading, I've been reading through, one of the books I've been reading through is Genesis. and Read through Genesis 1 and 2. And you've got this beautiful picture of Eden. And here, here are Adam and Eve sitting in this beautiful, perfect creation. And the garden is wonderful. And as God declares it, it is good. 
And there's nothing bad in it anywhere. And, and you know, the one thing that, that seems to stand out as, I, as you read those first two, three chapters of, of Scripture, one thing that stands out about Eden more than anything else it's easy to get lost in the, the relationship between Adam and the animals and what the food tasted like and how the sun must have looked different and how perfect everything. But the one thing beyond all of that that stands out more than anything is actually found in chapter 3. It said the Lord walked in the garden in the cool of the day. He walked there. He wasn't just there in spirit or just there as he is everywhere. Then in Eden, God himself put two feet on the ground and he went for a walk. There is a desire that awakens within my soul as I read those verses. I want to be there. And not because everything's perfect, but because God is walking in that garden. I want to be in that garden. I want to walk with him through the garden in the cool of the day to just go with a go on a walk with him. Are you kidding? How incredible that must have been. And now to think about the day that is coming when God's going to, to send Jesus back and he's going to, to recreate the world and that this desire of just going for a walk in the with the Lord in the garden will not be a fantasy or a story that we tell our kids. It will be something real. That there will be a morning where I wake up and I begin thinking through my day and I think, I'm going to, I'm going to cut the grass and I'm going to take some food over to the neighbors. And then this afternoon, as the sun goes down, me and God are going for a walk. Do you not crave that? You must want, because you were created for that. All of that to say the splendor of heaven is God. And everything else that comes with it is just spare change. So we rejoice now because of all that God has done for us in Christ. And we rejoice and we praise Him and we sing His glory now. But if we are rejoicing in God now about all of these gospel truths, Think about how great our rejoicing will be then. And the, the hymn says it better than I ever could. Great things he hath taught us, great things he hath done. And great our rejoicing in Jesus the Son. But purer and higher and greater will be our wonder, our transport when Jesus we see. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the earth hear His voice. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the people rejoice. Come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give Him the glory. Great things He hath done. If we are rejoicing now, much more will we be rejoicing later. Now I think as we, as we conclude this morning, I think there's a great need for us as Christians to ponder these truths more and more every day and every week and every time we gather. You see, the gospel that saves us is the gospel that sanctifies us. We need it. And we need it over and over again like our bodies need water and food over and over again. 
And I think that's why Paul gives it to us here in Romans 5. I think Paul wants to encourage the believers in Rome. And I think he wants to encourage the believers here at Bear Creek. He wants to encourage any believers who are faltering or maybe downhearted in their faith. Maybe discouraged in how things are going. And so he holds out these truths for contemplation and for consideration. It's as if he sees us. Our faces is saddened, our heads sort of hanging down. We struggle with sin and temptation. We wrestle with the assurance of our salvation and life just sort of wears us down. And here comes Paul gently saying, remember all the things that you have in Christ. You have a new relationship with God. You have peace with Him. Justification with Him. Reconciliation with Him. Where you stand now in His grace. And in this new relationship, you can overcome even the most severe afflictions and persecutions and sufferings because all of these are working for your good to temper and strengthen your faith. And even though it looks grim, don't lose sight of what's coming. Remember the hope that you have in God. Remember that you have been saved from wrath and that He will see you through to the very end. when we consider these truths and they pour over our heads like oil as the deepest desires of our souls are satisfied in the gospel what other response can we give but rejoicing how do you encourage Christians who are discouraged in their Christian life you point them to Jesus and everything they have in him Christian do you see it now Do you see how truly wonderful a Savior you have? And if you think He's wonderful now, just wait till later. When you will see Him with unveiled face and see Him as He is. See, now it's good. Later, who can fathom? Pray with me. Father, may Your Word bear fruit in our lives. We believe and hold fast to the promises of Isaiah that your word goes forth like the rain and it does not return empty. But it rains down on desolate places, rains down on thorn bushes and turns them into myrtle trees and rains down on deserts and turns them into gardens. Father, may your word bear fruit in us. May we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. In his name we pray. Amen. As we respond uh, to God's word this morning, we're going to respond as we always do by taking communion together. Uh, If you need the elements, run it to the back. Just raise your hand and he'll, he'll bring it to you. But just a a quick word of instruction as we come to the table. This table is for believers. It's for those that have been justified, who have Christ and all the benefits that come with it.
that's not you this morning, then, then let me just ask you to hold off from taking the table. Because it's not for you. And it, won't, frankly, really won't make a lot of sense. It's not going to satisfy that hunger you feel for lunch. It's not going to even come close to it. Because it really means nothing, unless you have the real thing. Christian, at this table... We, we take this table every week, and it is special every week. There's encouragement, there's refreshment, there's renewal, there's reminders of the gospel and all that Christ has done here at this table. And it's good now. Be reminded, be, be encouraged by the gospel and all that you have in Christ this morning. So we come to the table and first we see the bread. And this bread reminds us, and it points our attention back to the cross, where God's love was displayed for you. That while you were weak, and while you were sinful, and while you were rebellious, Christ died for you. He died in your place. He died to atone for your sins. He died to justify you and to reconcile you. The body of Christ broken for you. If we are justified now, much more will we be justified later. If we are reconciled now, much more will we be reconciled later. If we are rejoicing now, much more will we be rejoicing later. This cup points us to later. The day is coming when your Savior will return for you. That he will call his people together. That the church will be his beautiful bride. And that we will celebrate the new heavens and the new earth the wedding. Christ marrying the bride his church to himself. And she will be presented to him without spot or blemish in glorious, pure white. And all of her sins have been taken away. And we will be united to Christ forever. And we will go for a walk with him in the garden in the cool of the day. And just share burdens. Have conversation. Spend time with What a day. What a day that will be. To the King. Church, let us rejoice now. In light of what's to come, let us be a rejoicing people now. So let us sing our final hymn together. It's hymn 66. To God be the glory. Stand and sing.
through our study of Romans. Uh, encourage you, remind you to grab a baby bottle on the way out, fill it up, and bring it back in two weeks full. Uh, if you have them full, you can bring them back. You don't have to wait for two weeks to bring them. But grab, grab another on the way out. Let us make sure that we fill them up and return them to the Pregnancy Resource Center. Let me, uh, let's say our benediction together this morning. It's the Great Commission. It is printed there in your bulletin. And Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Go in grace. Thank you.